If you like music's greatest mysteries, you've got to check out Dan Rather's The Big Interview for some incredible true stories from the biggest names in music. Check out the podcast sometime. The sounds of music have always been a mystery. Creating an aura not only around the music, but also around the music makers themselves. While invoking life, love, drama. Music's Greatest Mysteries explores the wild and sometimes disturbing tales of these legends. On this episode, at the height of his fame, Bob Marley, a national hero in Jamaica, is the target of an assassination attempt. Is the hit planned by the CIA? Why does Charlie Rich burn John Denver's announcement card at the Country Music Awards? And finally, Avril Lavigne can't shake the rumor that she's been replaced by a body double. How did this begin? In the 1970s, Jamaica is an island of contradictory cultures. Amid the serenity of the Caribbean, the country is split into two political factions. Trapped in the middle, reggae prince Bob Marley. Is Marley's influence enough to tone down the turmoil? To change the landscape? Or is it too dangerous to get involved? And ultimately, is his life threatened in an attack sponsored by America's spy organization? is born. The island of Jamaica, for 307 years a British possession, welcomes Princess Margaret and the Earl of Snowden here to represent Queen Elizabeth at independence ceremony. In 1962, Jamaica wins independence from England. A year later, another birth. Bob Marley forms his quintessential island band, the Whalers. As the band grows in popularity, Jamaica's political situation turns even more perilous. By 1976, the nation's most popular figure is caught in the crosshairs. Bob Marley wasn't taking sides. His political views had more to do with the universal oppression of black people the world around. Marley had to be extraordinarily careful when it came to politics in Jamaica at that time. To be aligned with a politician could be suicidal. Marley must walk a tightrope between the angry parties. He's careful not to make any political statements as Jamaica rolls toward the most significant event in its short history, the election of a prime minister. Michael Manley was the leader of the left-wing party in Jamaica, and he was prime minister. But, you know, at the end of the day, Manley was a democratic socialist. And his direct opposite and uh, rival was Sega, who led the Jamaica Labor Party, who were on the right. Sega was favored by the United States, and there were a lot of people in, in Jamaica who referred to him as Eddie Siega. But there was that suspicion that that was the conspiracy that was going to put Jamaica under the American thumb. The most horrible thing that Manley did in the eyes of the CIA was he went to Cuba to see how Castro had managed things. The United States didn't take kindly to any leader in what the United States considered their sphere of influence, which is the Western Hemisphere, because we're in the middle of the Cold War. So any country leaning left 
was a potential enemy and from the United States point of view could be undermined by Soviet Union. As election day nears, both candidates seek the endorsement of Bob Marley. A few weeks before the big election that would determine who would rule Jamaica, there was a concert that Bob Marley was going to headline that was touted as being a symbol for believing in love and bringing people together. And Marley's idea was to bring both candidates onto the stage and have them shake hands, you know, to show that, you know, that it was a, an election for Jamaica. And all of a sudden, around Kingston, posters started appearing saying that Bob Marley was going to do a free concert on the lawn of Prime Minister Manley's house. It was made to look like Bob Marley was tacitly supporting Manley. And Bob freaked out because he didn't want to be publicly identified with either Siaga or Manley. And that's when Bob came under serious death threats. Ultimately, both parties agree that the concert be held at a neutral site. But that decision is too late. The prevailing view remains that Marley favors Manley, making the singer public enemy number one to the conservative right, which includes the USA and the CIA. Now Bob is fully aware his life is in danger, so much so that he hires a security detail to guard his home 24-7. But on the evening of December 3rd, the guards are strangely absent. And it was then that the two carloads of gunmen came to kill Bob Marley. The gunmen ran through the compound, shooting everyone they could find. Rita Marley was in a car about to leave, and she got shot in the head. Marley was hit, and his crew was also hit, and nobody was quite sure if either would make it. Despite the flurry of gunfire, Marley, wife Rita, and two associates survived the shooting. But two questions remain. Who shot Bob Marley? And will he still do the concert two days later? After the shooting, most of Bob's friends were begging him not to do the concert. Jeff Walker, his publicist, convinced Bob he should go. Bob told Jeff that he wasn't going to go down to the site without a machine gun. And Jeff said, Bob, your guitar is your machine gun. And at that moment, Bob agreed to go, and he grabbed his wife, and they went screaming down the mountainside in the back of the police chief's car to the site where 80,000 people were waiting for them. Bob's performance that night was that of a man possessed. It was one of the bravest moments of Bob's life to be on stage as vulnerable as he possibly could have been he sang and implored the audience, why can't we love one another? And made this plea, what's wrong with you, my brothers? It was the night he went from showman to shaman. Next on Music's Greatest Mysteries, Jamaicans, not to mention the entire world, still have a burning question. Who was responsible for shooting Bob Marley?
Was the CIA part of the assassination attempt? That's the great unanswered question. And later, why does country star Charlie Rich torch his industry? That was the moment that began the downturn for Charlie Rich. It's 1976, and Jamaica is in turmoil as the most important event in its brief history approaches. On the left, incumbent Michael Manley, supported by the island's communist neighbor, Cuba. On the right, challenger Edward Siega, friend to America and all its agencies. Trapped in the middle, Bob Marley, the reggae legend whose voice could swing the entire election. Just two days before a massive public concert, Marley is shot at his home in Kingston. His assailants escape. But the wounded entertainer performs anyway before 80,000 adoring fans. Ten days later, Manley is re-elected. Fearing for his life, Marley flees Jamaica for England. But the mystery lingers. Who shot the music legend? I've been studying this now for 44 years. I think in the end that the men who came to kill Bob were associated with Edward Siaga's Jamaican Labor Party. Whether Siaga gave the direct order or not has never been conclusively proven. But was the CIA part of the assassination attempt? That's the great unanswered question. It's common knowledge the CIA has a lengthy file on Marley, but why? The CIA was worried that Bob Marley was some sort of nefarious, uh, I guess, influence on Jamaican politics. They look at Bob Marley and think of him as a threat. There were so many rumors regarding sons of CIA operatives or directors being a part of assassination attempts after the shooting of his house. Some believe that poison perhaps caused Bob Marley's uh, skin cancer that led to brain cancer, and it was a particularly aggressive kind of cancer. There is a story that someone gave Bob a poison boot that somehow gave Bob Marley melanoma cancer and eventually caused his death. In May 1981, Bob Marley dies of skin cancer. He's 36 years old. But do covert actions by the CIA contribute to his demise? Do I believe it was something orchestrated by higher powers? Probably not, despite many, many examples of the CIA doing some, some bad stuff. But I can't think of another instance wherein there's evidence where they would try to kill a pop star. I was down there in 75. People had wacky ideas, but no. CIA wouldn't do it. They had better things to worry about in those days. The CIA is never implicated in the assassination attempt, nor connected with any plot to cause the cancer that kills him. Nevertheless, they will forever be linked, the CIA and Bob Marley. In Nashville, Tennessee, nothing is bigger than country music. And in 1975, nobody in country music is as big as Charlie Rich. We told you he was back in town. Ladies and gentlemen, Charlie Rich. 
When he came to Nashville, he had some big records. He started doing songs like Good Time Charlie's Got the Blues, Behind Closed Doors, which was a huge, huge crossover hit. And they called him the Silver Fox, and, and he had that great silver hair, and he had that thing that, that grew. He was this quintessential country guy. He just kind of fit the mold. So why does he insult the entire industry while burning down his own career? Charlie Rich was the biggest star in country music. He was the entertainer of the year in 1974. And he wasn't even nominated in 1975. Just the fact that he wasn't nominated the year after he won it, maybe it was, you know, if it's not me, I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna make a show of this thing. That was the moment that began the downturn for Charlie Rich. Next on Music's Greatest Mysteries, we analyze Charlie Rich's protest at the 75 CMA Awards. Charlie Rich gets on stage, and I think he thought it was going to be his moment to further ingratiate himself with the Nashville establishment. Charlie Rich owns a colorful and complicated music career. He begins in Memphis, making rock and roll hit records alongside Elvis, Johnny Cash, and Jerry Lee Lewis at Sun Records. By the 70s, he changes his tune, moves to Nashville, and becomes a country superstar. He comes from that school and that time when Nashville country music and old school rock and roll was turning into country music. Relocated in Music City, the outsider becomes fully embraced. At the 1974 CMAs, Nashville presents Rich with its most important trophies, including Entertainer of the Year. But country music is turning into big business and attracting a broader audience. At the same show, pop favorite Olivia Newton-John wins female vocalist honors. A year later, the CMAs stray even further, nominating Entertainer of the Year to folk star John Denver. John Denver was a folk singer. Folk music was a big deal in the early 60s, and he had these beautiful songs, Thank God I'm a Country Boy and uh, Rocky Mountain High. But it wasn't made in Nashville. Most of Nashville saw John Denver dipping his foot into country music as a good thing, because John Denver is already a pop star. John Denver is bringing people into country music that might not necessarily be into country music. But the artists and the labels who were inside of Nashville saw John Denver, who made his record in Los Angeles, as not one of them. By 1975, new and old country are at a crossroads with John Denver and Charlie Rich representing both ends of the spectrum. The two worlds collide at the 75 CMAs in Nashville. Charlie Rich gets on stage, and I think he thought it was going to be his moment to further ingratiate himself with the Nashville establishment. The winner. If you watch the clip and watch it closely, and I've watched it a hundred times, he smiles when he reaches for his lighter. Like, what he's doing is hilarious. 
he stands there and reads the name off. My friend, Mr. John Denver. And you cut to John Denver giving his acceptance speech, and he looks like a little cherub. I, I don't know what Charlie Rich getting upset about John Denver. That's a pot calling the kettle black, really. Should Rich, a recent rock outlaw himself, really pass himself off as representing Nashville's old guard? Or does his fiery message hold deeper meaning? Whatever the case, the damage is done. So the CMA saw this as if it wasn't disrespect to John Denver, it was disrespect to them. In country music, we do not go out and badmouth each other, and you certainly don't do it on the CMA Awards. This just wasn't something you did. Rich never apologizes to Denver, but he does address the issue in a public statement 17 years later. There was no intent as far as trying to make a statement. It was just uh, kind of a mistake that, you know, that I made a few before. <laughs> Charlie Rich is never invited back to the CMAs, while John Denver continues to release platinum albums through the decades. But the two icons are forever linked to this mysterious night in Nashville in 1975. What's it like being a mega pop star at age 17? Ask Avril Lavigne. In 2002, her debut album, Let Go, hits number two on the charts. This teenager is on top of the music world. She was nominated for all sorts of awards. You couldn't get away from Avril Lavigne. And then she disappeared. Could it be that she's just not Avril anymore? Next on Music's Greatest Mysteries, the bizarre story of Avril Lavigne's death hoax. At the tender age of 17, Avril Lavigne swirls atop the music globe with a hit album, tons of industry awards, and a massive fan base. Her two recent singles also raced to number one, and yet Avril is AWOL. Not only out of the spotlight, out of anybody's sight. Why? Is she simply a teenager acting out, coming of age, rejecting the rules for a celebrity idol, or is there something else weird going on? We all love a good conspiracy theory, and there are little things that when they add up, you wonder, hmm, if there's not a little bit of truth to it. When she came back, there was something a smidge different. Her cheeks are fuller, and her face shape, has it changed? I was at a bar somewhere in the valley overhearing people, you heard she's actually dead, and there's a girl named blah, 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 pretending to be her now. She was wearing skirts, suddenly. The makeup wasn't as dark. Was she wearing pink lipstick? What Avril is this? In 2017, Avril addresses the conspiracy on social media. Is it strange that people think you're dead? Yeah, it is weird. Um, I think they don't have anything else to talk about right now. So at least they're talking. So Avril Lavigne is dead and she was replaced by a body double. How did she die? When did she die? I'm not one to believe in conspiracy theories, but why does she have to defend herself? It doesn't make sense. 
It's not even just a rumor it, that I'm dead. It's, aren't they saying like that? Uh, like oh, I'm yes. an Im- imposter. I'm an imposter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Avril Lavigne is a hundred percent alive. See her all the time. Talk to her all the time, and still making Grammy award-winning albums. Who benefits from there being a fake Avril? And the answer is always, oh, the record label. No, the record label would have made a lot of money if Avril Lavigne actually died. If she dies, as you've seen with Whitney Houston, Michael Jackson, Prince, if they die, the record sales and the streams go through the roof. No, I'm not dead, I'm here. If somebody makes a death hoax about you, it's because you know, you're that popular to make a death hoax about. It just goes to show that you can't really believe everything you read. Avril Lavigne, Charlie Rich, Bob Marley. Three graphically different musicians sharing one common trait. Careers, reputations, and very lives transformed by that strange world known as celebrity. Each one of their stories a part of music's greatest mystery. Thank you for joining us for Music's Greatest Mysteries, where we investigate the legendary mysteries surrounding the biggest names in music. Now remember, if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Also, go ahead and leave us a review and don't keep the show a secret. Tell a friend.